Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on now. Good morning, Harbor Church. Man, it's good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. Those of you that are tuning in online and watching as well, thank you for joining us. Um, If you're new, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor, and uh, man, I'm stoked that you're with us on this Palm Sunday. So, um, and it's a, I don't know, man, I'm just feeling it. I don't know if that was, it's got to be that worship. That was just awesome uh, hearing you guys sing. Um, Also, I was doing like a, I was doing like a sugar fast for a while, and then they tempted me with those uh, cereal bars out there, you know, and I had that, I had some fruity pebbles this morning. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm wired, like, woo! Uh, we're going to get into it. I'm so glad you guys are here. Seriously, uh, we are into a, uh, just a very small, like, mini-series that we're going to do. We just finished um, a, a series last week, and so now we're looking at, uh, obviously, this weekend being Palm Sunday and next week being uh, Easter Sunday and celebrating that. And so I kind of wanted to focus in on a few things that Jesus did during the, that time and just see how it, cha- how it can change our life. Here's what you need to understand. The Bible says in in the book of Timothy that all scripture is inspired. Every single word in the Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everything in the Bible is perfectly inspired. But we also get a chance to see in the Gospels a few places where the words of Jesus are recorded specifically. Not just the story of Jesus, but the words of Jesus. And you might have a Bible. Some of the Bibles do this. When Jesus is speaking, they put those letters in red. And so I want to look at some of the things that Jesus said and how that can dramatically change our lives. What, what I found is that there's a few people in scripture that kind of illustrates this. And so today we're going to look at somebody very specific. Next week for Easter, we're going to look at another story. But for today, for this weekend, we're going to look at how God and what specifically some of the things that Jesus said redirect people's lives, the redirect part. So those letters in red and how they they help change the course, the direction for many people, especially, hopefully, those of us here today going to hear this message. Jesus impacted lives, thousands of lives while he was here on earth, and obviously millions since then with, through the story of Jesus Christ. But here's what I'd like you guys to, to lean into, is a person called Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a unique figure in in the Bible, in that, like, now you might have watched the Da Vinci Code. She is not Jesus's girlfriend, right? Like, there's a lot of crazy stories about Mary Magdalene. But what we know for real about her is she holds some very prominent real estate when it comes to the resurrection story, when it comes to the, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is something that it says about her in John's account in chapter 19. It says, standing near the cross. This is Jesus on the cross, John records standing near the cross where Jesus' mother, that was Mary, you know, if you remember Mary, and then his, his mother's sister, and so his aunt, and then Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Just so you don't get mad at me, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, a lot of Marys. Uh, you're going to even hear a few other ones. But Mary Magdalene 
is unique in the fact that she has uh, some really cool things that happen. We'll get into those. She's called Mary Magdalene, one, because there's so many Marys. Um, but she's, she's from the village of Magdala, which is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. So she was familiar with the Sea of Galilee, kind of probably fit in well with a lot of the disciples because of growing up in a fishing village like that. This is Mary Magdalene. Mark's account says uh, he, he, he notices some other people at the cross, but once again, accounts for Mary Magdalene. In Mark's account, it says when Jesus uttered, uh, Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. That's saying this is the last breath of Jesus. Not only was Mary there when Jesus was on trial and being beaten and whipped, but she actually stays with him through the crucifixion, all the way up until he dies. And this is rare because a lot of Jesus' followers have left at this time. The men, obviously afraid that they were going to get pulled in with the mob, more likely the mob would have been a little bit merciful or gracious to a few of the women followers of Jesus, whereas the men might have been crucified alongside him. So they're afraid they leave him, they run away, they're hiding. So most of Jesus' followers have abandoned him, but not Mary Magdalene. It says, as he breathed his last breath, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, and Salome. So he, he notices a few others. He says they had been followers of Jesus, speaking about Mary and some of the other ones. They had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So Mary gets lumped up in this crowd. And here's, here's the thing. Most of you, when you think about Jesus and his followers, you think about his entourage of 12 guys, the disciples. And rightfully so. The 12 disciples are with Jesus the most. They have the most access to Jesus. There are times when a lot of people aren't around him, but it's just his, his 12. So it's cool that you get the 12 disciples. But Jesus really traveled in a much larger group than just those 12 guys. He often had a lot of people with him. And Mary... Uh, Magdalene was one of those devout followers. Not only was Mary there at the very end to watch Jesus breathe his last breath, not only was she there when he died, it says this in Mark chapter 16, after Jesus, this is verse 9, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. Now, those of you who have never been here before or are uh, not used to church, normally when I preach, I will put up key points and, and, and stuff for you to write, If you're, those of you that like to take notes. But every once in a while, I like to not do that because some of you who take notes hyper-focus and nerd out on the things that are on the screen and you're not listening to the story. Today, I just want you to listen to the story of Mary Magdalene, okay? And you write down whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you to remember. But Mary Magdalene was the last to leave and the first to receive. She was there at the cross when Jesus Christ dies. And this scripture tells us, as well as many others, that she was the very first one to see him alive again. Now, what do we know about Mary? Why does she get to be this in this spot? What, what's so unique about her? Why does Jesus give her this honor? Why do we remember her this way? Well, if you actually read the rest of Mark chapter 6, the rest of verse 9 goes on to give us a little bit more detail. It says, after Jesus rose from, dead, from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. This is the descriptor because there's a lot of Marys, 
There's Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and now you have seven demon Mary. She's like, could you just go back to saying I'm from Magdala, please? Just Mary Magdalene's fine. They're like, seven demon Mary, there she is, because that's all she was known for. It says that, he, that she was there. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, and she told them what happened that morning. Seven demon Mary, Mary Magdalene, gets to be the first messenger of the resurrection. Now, what do we know about her prior to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? Luke records the first instance that we find uh, of Mary Magdalene in this. This is early on in Jesus' ministry, verse uh, number one of Luke chapter eight. Soon after Jesus began to tour uh, the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. And he took his 12 disciples with him. We get that. That's probably how you were picturing it. But he gives more description. He goes, along with those 12 disciples were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And among them, Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Mary is part of this 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 group of women who leveraged their resources, who funded the ministry of Jesus Christ as he went out and healing and, and, and teaching people. Mary was part of that group, that elite group. Now, there's a lot of things that people think about Mary that isn't recorded in Scripture. We have a lot of opinions, and a lot of people have ascribed things to her that aren't necessarily true about her, especially when you just look at what the Bible tells us. Now, what some people have said was that Mary, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. We don't know that. She could have been. We don't know that. We do know she had seven demons attached to her. Now, that might have led her into prostitution. She might have been crazy, and people just saw that part of her, and, and that's kind of what, where it was at. But we don't know that to be a fact. We do know that post-meeting Jesus... After she encounters Christ, she becomes a devout follower of him. So I started to think, what, was, what must that have been like? To be possessed of seven different demons, some scholars would say each demon would represent a different affliction. To have seven demonic afflictions take you over, man, like what would those have been? Depression, mental anguish, maybe it was loneliness, maybe it was shame. Maybe there was prostitution. Maybe it was uh, some type of abuse, some type of, uh, of bitterness. Who knows what was overcoming her and what it caused her to do having those things in her and, and oppressing her. And here's what I, I like to mention. We don't have scripture of, of Mary's conversion, but we do see Jesus time and time and time again cast out demons. The demons, long before people realized who Jesus was, the demons knew exactly who he was. Jesus would show up, and demons would start freaking out. Son of God, don't hurt us. Leave us alone. Don't, don't, don't. Like They would panic when Jesus would show up, and nobody else knew what was going on. Jesus gets out of a boat, and a demoniac runs to him, begging him to have mercy. All the demons are saying, have mercy on us. Jesus, at just one word, casts demons out all the time. He didn't have to, he didn't have to work on it. He didn't have to do all these things. He would just... That being in their presence freaked them out. And Jesus would constantly cast out demons out of people. 
And I don't know if Mary sought Jesus out or if Jesus went and found her one day in Magdala or wherever it was, but she came into an encounter with Jesus Christ and it radically changed her life. And that somebody in here needs that exact same thing. That's why I'm saying this part of her story. I don't know how jacked up you are. I don't know if you're seven demons jacked up like Mary or if you're just here and you're like, oh, I mean, you know, I'm not in seven demons, but like, you know. I got some struggles. Okay. Some of you aren't nodding your head yes. You're like, no, I don't, I don't have any struggles. Other than lying, you don't have any struggles. So that's fine. But wherever you are today, you are in need of an encounter with Jesus. And when Jesus Christ shows up, one word from Christ changes Mary's life forever. And it'll do, it can be the exact same thing for you if you choose to have that relationship with Christ. He won't force you to love, love him and believe in him, but he will give you the opportunity to trust him as your savior. Mary chooses to trust Christ. She follows him. It radically changes her life. I, I imagine that she's at most of the things that we read about. As this devout follower of Jesus, she's there when he does these miracles, when he multiplies fish and loaves, when he casts out other demons, when he sits down with the most brokenhearted of people and, and brings life back to them. I mentioned she's there in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus, some pro, it's hard to say what's the most important words that Jesus ever spoke, but I don't think you can find many that would top this. Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I'm not one of the ways that you get to heaven. He goes, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. If it was a bridge to the other side, and the other side is heaven and a relationship with God, and the great chasm, the canyon between us and God, us and forgiveness, hell and heaven, the distance between that is our sin. There's only one bridge over that sin, and it's not our way. It's not going to church and doing a bunch of good stuff and trying to earn bonus points. It's, there's one way. It's Jesus. And that's because there's only one truth. Well, I don't choose to believe that, Pastor Josh. I want to believe that if I just pray to any God or if I just act really good, if I have a lot of good things that outweigh my bad things, that I can get to God. No, no, that's your truth, and that's not real truth. That's the lie because there's only one of the truth, and that's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and that's how you find the life. I recognize that I would get in trouble in anywhere else in culture because the world doesn't like to hear that and everybody gets to have their own truth, but that's, that doesn't make it true just because everybody wants to feel good about what they believe. You have to wrestle through that what culture and the world wants to put on you are lies to pull you away from the one truth, which is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, hey, I've got a plan for you, Mary, and it's not demon possession. And it's, if, it is, if she was a prostitute, it's not prostitution. It's not finding your value in what the world has for you or what people say about you. I want to redeem you. And I love that Jesus is in the business of taking the most broken, most outcast, most irredeemable of people and giving them a new purpose, redirecting their life from demonic possession and brokenness and, and all the shame and the frustration and the anger and the anguish that she was in. And he gives her a new purpose, a new direction, which is saying, hey, follow after me. And I hope that's true for everybody in this room. I recognize that not all of you have made that decision, but it it can be true that God absolutely will redirect your paths if you're willing to follow after him. I think Mary would have heard that, would have known that, would have seen that, would have begun to follow after that. Now, what does that do for us? Well, that brings us back to who Mary is come resurrection, come the, come the resurrection. Now, I said she was, at, she was there at the end. 
Mark actually says, um, Mark actually says in chapter 15 that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. If you read the account where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus ask for permission for Pilate to get Jesus' body off the cross, they lower his body. Mary and a few other ladies are there with those guys as they take the body of Jesus. But the Sabbath is quickly coming and they're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So they pull him off the cross and they quip, quickly wipe some of the blood off of him and they quickly carry him over. And there's this, this empty tomb that had never been used before. So they borrow the tomb because he didn't need it for very long. And they put his body in there and they've got to be quick because Sabbath is coming. And so that's, that's her. Mary, Mary knew where the tomb was because she was there at the end and helped bring the body down. So we pick up the story in Mark chapter 16. It says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James and Salome. They went out and they purchased burial spices. This would have been perfume and oil and ointments like that. And so that they could anoint the body of Jesus. And very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance of the tomb? Here's what I know about what this means. Walking to the tomb, they were not expecting an empty tomb. They had just watched their rabbi, their savior, the man that they had been following for years, they just watched him get swept up in a mob of people, watched him be publicly accused of of crimes he didn't commit, watched him get flogged and beaten by the Roman soldiers, watched his body get nailed to a cross, watched him take his last breath. They were there when they pulled him down and they put that dead body in the grave. They were expecting nothing but a, a return to what they had left on Friday when they saw the lifeless body of Jesus wrapped in some cloth and put in this grave. And so I got to imagine walking through the dark, heading to the grave. They had just spent a couple of days remembering how heavy and how dark it was. They were probably still crying a little, They're probably still asking questions like, why, why, why did this happen? And the question they ask each other is, how are we even going to get to the body now that the soldiers put this giant stone in front of it? The best that they could hope for was just a little bit of closure to put just a little bit of of perfume on the body of their, their Lord. That's the best thing that could have happened to him. And I think about some of us and how that same situation might be true for us today. See, there was a time when we were excited. They were probably remembering Mary's walking, carrying those per- that perfume. She's walking to the tomb, and she's remembering the days where her and Jesus and the disciples and the others, they would be having fun, and they would be catching fish, and they'd have lunch on the side of the hill, and they'd walk, and he would talk about great things, and she'd be like, man, this is blowing my mind. And she would watch him go over and, and heal a deaf person and, and then walk over and, and heal leprosy, and she, she's remembering the good times. But now, today, as she She's walking through the dark, crying. It doesn't feel good anymore. I'm speaking to the person here today who you're a believer. There was a time in your life where you had some joy with Jesus. 
Things were good. You were excited. You wanted to learn. You wanted to grow. You wanted to be better. But you've lost some momentum. It's not that good right now. There were good days. I remember some good days, but I'm not in a good spot right now. I'm kind of kind of confused. I'm worried. I'm mad about some things that have happened. I didn't think should happen. I'm confused about what's coming next. She's walking to the grave remembering past good times, but at a place where she doesn't really believe there's any good times left. There's a passage in the Bible in Psalms chapter 30 and verse number five says, weeping may last through the night. See, weeping lasting through the night, we can resonate with that. It feels like I didn't, I wasn't just crying. It's just like all night long I've been crying is what it's talking about. It's like I didn't cry a little bit. I've been crying this whole night and it's just so stinking dark. It's just darkness after darkness after darkness after darkness. The verse says, but joy comes in the morning. Now, some of you know this to be true, and some of the rest of you are sitting here going, yeah, I haven't had a morning in a while. And I think as Mary is walking through the dark before sunrise, before that sun will rise, S-O-N or S-U-N, either one, it's just dark that morning because it's still still feels like the night that I've been crying. Still, it still feels like, like the tears are coming because there's nothing to look forward to. I, I don't have, I don't have any, what good? What's the best thing that could happen for Mary? She finds the dead body of Jesus and she's allowed to anoint him? That's the best case scenario. She didn't, get, she didn't get a chance to show him any love or tender care. She didn't get to show him the respect she felt he deserved. She wanted to go back and clean some of the blood clots out of his beard and wipe down some of the, the whip marks on his body just to, just to show some appreciation because that was her Lord. That was her rabbi. She didn't even get to do that. So if, if somebody could just move the stone so she could anoint the dead body, if that's the last she could do, just maybe a little bit of closure would make her feel better in this night of nights, this this period of weeping that she's in. I don't know if Mary Magdalene was one of the three ladies who anointed Jesus' body during his life. Three times Jesus is anointed with perfumes and tears and women would anoint his head, anoint his feet. We know that one of those three women was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. The other two aren't mentioned. One was early in Jesus' life. One of them was right before his crucifixion. I like to think that one of them was Mary, but I don't know. And maybe it wasn't Mary, but I do think she was probably there when it happened. And so you got to see, you got to understand, in this day and age, showers and baths aren't readily available. And deodorant isn't very common. For some of you, it still isn't. And that's a different message. But in that culture, in that mindset, when smells are not always that pleasant, to have perfume was a big deal because it made a big difference. To smell something sweet at a time when all the rest of the, the smells, the aromas, everything else was usually pretty, pretty nasty. 
she was she, she's carrying this bottle of perfume in the dark and as she's crying maybe just a little bit of it fills her nostrils maybe she just gets a flashback of of that time when when Jesus was anointed they say that the sense of smell is one of your strongest memories and so maybe she, it flashed back to Jesus walking through a crowd of people and she was following behind and she could tell where Jesus was because he smelled so good after having the, the perfume poured over him. She could find him easily because that was so strong and, and now as she carries a bottle of perfume to anoint his dead body, maybe those memories come back. And once again, she's like some of you, the memory is just of something that was good but you don't think it'll ever be good again. So you're in need of a redirection. God had taken Mary from a path of, of brokenness, of evil, of pain, of sorrow, of shame. He gave her a new purpose. And some of you, some of you are in need of finding Jesus for the very first time. But some of you are here and you found Christ and, and Christ found you and you, you have a relationship and, and, and you're, you were growing. But now you've kind of lost steam. And Jesus says, isn't as sweet as he used to be. And a life following after God doesn't seem to be as promising. So what do you do with that? How do you answer that? What do you, what do you say when you say, God, I, I, was, I, was, oh, I was sold out, I was there, but now I'm like Mary Magdalene. I, I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. Everything's broken. Everything's, everything from my past. And now I watched horrible stuff happen. I don't know how I can get through this. The best that she could hope for was finding the dead body of Jesus, or so she thought. And here's what I love is God's got such a much better plan for us. He says that I can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you could ask or think. And all she's asking for is just give me a chance to anoint the dead body of Jesus. But I got I got to tell you it gets worse before it gets better. She gets there in John's account uh, uh John chapter 20 verse number 1 early on Sunday morning while it was still dark. There it is again. Weeping lasts through the night, right? It's still dark. Jesus in her mind is still dead. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to him, they've taken, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. See, she wasn't excited to find an empty tomb. What that empty tomb meant was Grave robbers. Somebody stole the body. Maybe it's not the grave robbers, which would have been common for that day and age. Maybe it was the religious elite who hated Jesus and they just didn't want him to have a resting spot that people could come visit. So in her brokenness, the night just got a little bit longer. Now she doesn't even have a grave to go to. We sang, it is well with my soul a few minutes ago. To be able to sing that means that sometimes you don't understand what's happening, but you say, God, in the middle of all this brokenness, I will trust you. Do you know that song was written by a guy named Horatio Spadford, and he wrote it as he sailed over the seas in the location where his four daughters had died in a shipwreck. The captain said, hey, this is the area where that ship went down, and he wrote that song looking out at the waves that his daughters died in, and he said, when when the waves like sea billows roll, when he talks about this peace that comes over him, that passes over him where he can say, it is well, even though I don't understand, 
God, I'm going to trust you. She's in this place where it couldn't have gotten any worse. Somebody stole the body of Jesus. I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple, they started out for the tomb, verse 3 says. They were both running. This is John writing about how he and Peter run to the tomb. He doesn't refer to himself as John. He refers to him as the, as the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter and the other disciple, John, were start, they started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John's just like, in case you want to know, we were running and I'm faster, you know, and just remember that for all time. I'm sure Peter's just like, that wasn't necessary. <laughs> but you see, John's faster, but Peter's bolder. John shows up. John stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go into the tomb. Then Simon Peter, who's very bold, very... <sighs> Let's just say he doesn't always think things through. Simon Peter arrived and he went straight inside and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' face, it was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, first also went in. He's just got to get that one more dig in there. And he said, John went in and he saw and he believed. This is important. See, for until then... They still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. They go in and John's looking around and he's starting to put together. Boom. Maybe all those times that Jesus said he would die and then raise from the dead, maybe he meant that. How many times did he tell us that? Like over and over and over and over again? Maybe this is what he was talking about. And John figures it out and believes but not Peter. I think Peter runs in, he looks around, he's going, what does this mean? A couple nights ago, Peter was so adamantly denying that he even knew who Jesus was. So he's looking at an empty tomb going, is he dead? Did they hide his body? Is he alive? Am I in trouble? He doesn't know what to believe. But here's where I want to bring you back to the story. The next verse says, then they went home. Resurrection Sunday, and what do the closest believers of Jesus do? Going home. They're still afraid. They're still afraid they might get arrested and nailed to a cross like he was. So what's that mean? Now it means that Mary Magdalene, who ran back with them, is now there alone. It says in the next verse, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She's there alone. The followers of Jesus aren't even there anymore. I mean, it was bad watching him die. It was bad going through that, that valley. But I thought there was a mountaintop. I thought there was at least a reprieve coming. God, couldn't you just let me at least lay some flowers at the tomb, at least say goodbye? Couldn't you give me a little bit of closure? This is so unfair. And man, that darkness is hanging. Now she stoops and she looks into the tomb. And as she walks into the tomb, the dark garden, the dark graveyard becomes even darker inside the tomb. She's now in the tomb and tears in her eyes. And she's just sitting there going, I don't get this, God. You can't give me one win, even a small win. 
Have you ever felt like you hit rock bottom and then you fell down one more flight of stairs? This is her. It says, it says that she's, the, the, the language here is, is describing her sadness, her, her discouragement. It's near despair, de- depression. She doesn't have much else to do. I read to you last week that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he gathers all of his disciples together, all his followers together, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He's like, you were sad for three days while I was gone. I'm getting ready to, to head up to heaven, but I, I don't want you to get sad because even though you don't see me anymore, I'm still here. He gives them the commission in Matthew 28. Jesus tells his disciples, go everywhere across the world and, and tell everybody that I'm risen. And at the end, Jesus says this, be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I know you feel alone, but you're not. You're not alone. The, the prophet Isaiah writes that God has the same conversation to him. He says, fear not, for I am with you. This is God's reassuring promise. He says, I'm with you. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Your job won't bring you the comfort. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, parents, they won't bring you the comfort that I will bring. Your 401k won't do it. Your, 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 your followers on Instagram won't do it. All the things that you are worshiping, they will leave you fearful because they cannot do what the God of the universe can do. He says, fear not. I'm your God. I got you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is a reminder to us because God knows that much like Mary, we will be in that place where it went from a dark graveyard to an even darker grave. And we can't see what's going on. How do I know that? It says in the next verse, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot, the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? She doesn't know they're angels. She's assuming they're probably either grave robbers or gardeners and neither one of those can help her right now and like typical men they ask her a stupid question why are you crying just let me cry she's got tears in her eyes she's in a dark tomb having the worst day after the worst weekend that she's ever had and somebody's like hey why are you crying (laughs) and she's the most she can do to kind of pull it together and she says She said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. What's this tell you? Here she is in the middle of all this pain, but it's so dark, and she's so broken, she can't see the angels. You ever been in a place where you were so hurting, you were so scared, it was so bad that you couldn't see the hand of God in your life? I'll be honest with you. There's times where I've been mad at God. God, how could you let me go through this? How could you do this, God? You're not good. You're not loving. Do you know how bad it is for me? And what I didn't see was that behind the scenes, God's got his angels holding back stuff that I couldn't have handled. And what he's saying is going, Josh, I love you even though you don't love me right now. And I'm going to protect you even though you don't think I'm protecting you. And yes, this is heavy and this is crushing you right now, but I I won't let it destroy you. I won't let it actually break you. This stuff would break you, and so I'm going to hold it back. You'll never know about it because you're never going to experience it because I love you enough to let this hit you. But what I am letting you go through is a valley that will make you stronger when you come out of it. 
Now, did I appreciate it in the moment? I wish I could say my faith was big enough that I could, but much like Mary Magdalene, I couldn't see God at work because of all the tears in my eyes and the pain in my heart. I'm just being honest with you. That's why the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we don't walk by sight. We, we, we walk by faith. I don't, I don't live my life based on what I can make sense of. Because here's the truth. Most of this world, I can't make sense of. And when I turn on the news, it just feels like it gets worse and worse. And sometimes when I begin to plan out what does the rest of my life look like or what will happen to my kids as they get older, nothing seems to be very encouraging. But I don't walk by sight, by what I see. I, I say, God, I know you see what I don't see. So I'm going to trust in you. Jesus spoke to this need that we have. And once again, more powerful words of Christ, John chapter 14. At one point, as he's walking with his disciples, he says, hey, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift that this world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He's not saying there won't be troubles. He's saying you do not have to get pulled down with them. He actually says that the world's pretty crappy and broken, and that's why he died, is because sin is a disease that decays and makes things worse and worse and worse and worse. And Jesus died as the antidote to that sin, to that decay. He says, hey, listen, the perfection that is Jesus Christ covers sin, and one day when I return, I will get rid of all sin. But while you live here on this broken planet, struggling through all of the sin and brokenness of this world, don't let it overcome you, because I'm with you. So much so that it wasn't just the angels in that tomb. It says, as she turned to leave in verse 14, she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Before you're like, Mary Magdalene. Jesus is right here, right now in your life, standing in front of you at this exact moment, and some of you do not recognize him. You feel your pain. You've got a million questions. You got anger. You got bitterness. You got your pride. You don't need Jesus. You got a million things that are keeping you from this exact moment from seeing Jesus as he is. And Mary didn't recognize. What did she want more than anything? She wanted the dead body of Jesus to put some perfume on. And what did she get? The living, breathing Jesus Christ standing in front of her. But church person, she didn't recognize it. And sometimes we put all of what we want, and we say, God, give me, give me, give me what I want, and then it doesn't happen, and we think God isn't good. And he's like, I'm the God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what you could ask or think. What you think you want is right here, but what I'm giving you is the living, breathing Jesus Christ standing in front of you. Do not get so wrapped up in what you want that you miss what it is that God wants for you. And Jesus asked her a question. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, God does not ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. He asks questions to reveal where our hearts are. So Jesus asks her, he says, hey, dear woman, why are you crying? Watch this. Who are you looking for? Said by Jesus to the woman looking for Jesus. Hey, who are you looking for? What are you looking for right now? That same Jesus is standing here today asking you the same question. What are you looking for? What is it you think you want? What is it? What do you need? 
What do you need right now? And what she thought she needed was the location of Jesus's body. But what she really needed was a resurrected savior. You and I, I've got a million prayer requests that God needs to answer for me. But what Josh really needs is he needs an encounter with the living son of God, Jesus Christ. And sometimes in the middle of our desires and our pain or our anger, or our fill in the blank, we can't see what's standing right in front of us. She answers, because she thought he was the gardener. I got a whole message on how when we try to make God into a gardener, but we'll skip it. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. God's standing there saying, hey, what do you need? What do you want? What's going on? And her response is, I just, I just need this problem fixed. She's missing out on what's hap actually happening. And this is where I love one of the best words in red from Jesus Christ. He stands there and he says, Mary? And that's it. See, what I like to do is I like to put my name right here. I want you to put yours right there. In the middle of her pain, in the middle of the tears, in the middle of the darkness, the sun rose when that name was spoken and there was something about, everybody knows my name, everybody says that, everybody calls me my name. Yeah, I hear it a million times, but when I hear it from the lips of my Savior said in a way that I know that that person knows me better than anybody knows me. I can hear God saying, Josh, come on. In that split second, in that millisecond of comprehension that my, my master's body has been stolen and it'll be gone forever and things couldn't get any worse, to Mary, I know that voice. I know who that belongs to. Her head must have snapped, just, what, what, it's you! So quick, how things can change. In a millisecond, things can change when Jesus Christ is at the center of it. I don't care how bad it is today. I don't care how broken it is. I don't care how far away from any kind of future or hope or answer that you think you are. You are simply a turn to Jesus away from having your entire world shifted. Mary, Mary, I know you're hurting. I'm here. Hey, Josh, I, I know you got questions. I'm here. It's a statement of I know you. This morning, God is saying, I know you. She turns. She's like, it's my rabbi. It's my master. It's you. It really is you, God. I don't know if she grabbed him, she fell at his feet and grabbed his ankles and started crying. I don't know if she threw her arms around his shoulders and like just started weaving. I don't know what happened. But I know she grabbed him and he says, hey, Mary, you can't cling to me just yet. Don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to the Father. But I want, here's what I want you to do. Now watch this. I want you to go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Why is that important? Because the next verse says that Mary goes and does it. Mary Magdalene, demon-possessed Mary, not one of the disciples, 
found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, the risen Savior, the first person to ever proclaim that. She gave them his message. Why? Because God loves to take a mess and turn it into a messenger. That is the story of Mary Magdalene. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me. And I want you to reflect on the life of Mary Magdalene. Don't go anywhere. Don't put your jacket on. Don't think about leaving. Just stand up and stay in this moment. Now I want to remind you. Weeping may last through the night. But. What's it say? Weeping may last through the night. But. Joy comes in the morning. In a couple days, we're going to celebrate Easter morning when joy really came. But you know that you don't have to wait for Sunday morning to celebrate the risen Savior. The joy that comes from Jesus can be yours right now. And when, when Mary Magdalene discovered the joy of Jesus, just reaching out, saying her name, calling her, hey, I got you, everything changed it was no longer about her pain or her past. She had a brand new purpose. She was loved by the Son of God and had a message to share with people. He's risen. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a story I've got to tell you about the Jesus that I know who isn't dead. And those tears that I've been crying, the night that seems like it wouldn't end has now turned to a morning. And now I can find joy. And you can have that same joy today in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. And I'm not saying that what you're going through isn't hard. I'm just saying that God is bigger. And that you can find joy this morning just like Mary Magdalene did. Let's pray. I'll pray out loud. You pray quietly right where you're at. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. We thank you for who you are and all that you've given us. Lord, you've blessed us in ways that we can't really understand. Lord, you died for us. And sometimes we just take that for granted. So Lord, today in the middle of what we're going through, we often just, just focus only on our problems or our pain or our struggles. And God, we often just fail to see that you're at work. Lord, you've got angels surrounding us. You've got a plan in place. You're doing miraculous things and we tend to only complain or to feel sad when what we should be doing is proclaiming you. So God, forgive us for the times that we get wrapped up in ourselves and help us. Lord God, help us right now in this moment to be more like Mary Magdalene who redirects their life back to your plan, to your purpose. God, let us proclaim, let us be your messenger. Let us tell some people this week. Let us, let us find a way to share hope and joy with people who desperately need it. Lord, I pray for the people under the sound of my voice right now, whether they're watching at home or they're standing in this, this room right now, that they need you. I pray, Lord God, that they would open up their hearts and accept you. You said, Lord, that if we would confess our sins, if we would admit that we are broken, that we can't fix ourselves, that our sin is, is too big for us and it separates us from you, you said that if we would acknowledge that we need you, that only you can solve it. And Lord, if we would let you be the God of our life, let you sit in the driver's seat, you said you would forgive us and save us and give us a home in heaven one day. So God, I pray for the people right now who need to make that decision and encounter you for the very first time.
And Lord, I, God, I pray for the rest of us. There's some people in here that have you, but they've lost momentum. There's people in here that have a relationship with you, but they've become distracted by what they see and what they think is happening. God, let us walk by faith, not by sight. Let's be the kind of people that bring you honor and glory with everything we say and do. Let us walk out of this room looking more like Jesus than we walked in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.